up if you've ever owned a Casio keyboard back in the day. Anyone? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was Casio, but oh, maybe Yamaha. I've, I've owned a few in my time, and I, I've never ever gotten beyond the point of just pressing those demo buttons, <laughs> listening to the music. <laughs> I had an. I had like a, a like an organ. Oh. Like a like a weird kind of organ, and I could play one like one hand part of the entertainer but not the other hand not the other hand oh part. mate look <laughs> i couldn't do the other we're 30 that. seconds out of the gate and you've already given me a great sound bite i had a weird organ <laughs> <laughs> i thought what you know better kind of music to come into today's show with the theme of minimalist films Pressing a button on a keyboard is about as minimum as uh, effort you can do with a keyboard. Um, let's face it, I was desperate, couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we could have just come into, today, into today's show silently. Um, as a matter of fact, we can wrap it up now if you want. That's pretty minimum. I'm, hang, like on. hang on a second. Minimal. Minimal. Sure. I think I might have. I think I might have misread. <laughs> I thought I thought we were doing mini list films. Mini list films. Like movies with movies with lists. What? <laughs> movies with lists. What? Just, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, can you? To, can you? What's What's on that list? I was gonna. Well, I had. I was gonna do Collateral. <laughs> got a list. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and like yeah, you know, one of the Santa Claus movies because he's making a list and he's checking it. Twice. I'll have to. I'll just have to. That's all right. I'll. I'll. I, I'm good on my feet. I'll. Uh, I'll just come up with with something else to recommend on the fly. Minimalism. Le- legitimately so, has to be Ben's worst bit ever. <laughs> I think I don't. I don't know about that. I think I've had plenty of worst. Bits. It's a, it's a perfect way to come into the show. Welcome to Good Movie Monday, everybody. Samantha Housen is with us again. Zan- Sam New... Oh, fuck, can't even get your name right, Sam. You normally join us every week over Zoom for our Lucky Dip videos, but it's great to have you on the entire show yes. this week, albeit via Zoom once Thank again. You. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Good that, that I'm here now. Excellent. Benjamin, how are you, mate? Sadly, um, this week we come to each other from different locations. Yes. Bloody... Yes, because you went, you went and caught yourself something else. <laughs> I didn't. My wife got the COVID. Um, you know, I've survived three people in my house of close proximity, all having COVID over the last 12 months, and I have not caught it yet, knock on wood. <laughs> so. You haven't caught it. I mean, to be honest, I'm glad, to be honest I'm glad. Not glad that, that Mel's got COVID, but glad that uh, I didn't have to drive to your house with petrol going up to $2 a litre again. <laughs> That's a good point. Just that ridiculous. is a good point. Yeah. Anyway, you come to us in a rather sprightly uh, mood, I guess I could say, because you've had two weeks of intensive Monster Fest weekend activity going on, and there's still one week to go. You got the New Zealand leg. Yeah, still got, got New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. It's just a shame. It's a shame I can't be there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Like, it's just, there's no one there. It's, it's a minimalist festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a minimalist fest. <laughs> that's right. 
it's just as well like if they do send me like like back when we did canberra before the cinema closed down uh not because of us i hope uh the it would just be me sitting in the corner not talking to anyone so i might as well not have been there <laughs> so, Oh. Is it is it social anxiety or is it laziness? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Glenn Cochran, and uh, it's always a highlight of my week to be speaking directly into your ear holes. So thank you for pressing play. Uh, this week we are, as I said, discussing minimalist films, not mini list films, um, and that is movies that we can justify as being. I guess exactly that, minimalist, but that's also up to interpretation, so I guess we'll each have a turn at explaining why we think they're minimalist. There's a few ways to define the term, I think. I don't know. We'll go into that a little bit later, but let me first let people know that our guest for today's show is Glenn Triggs, the Melbourne-based filmmaker whose minimalist time travel movie 41 has become a cult favourite, and his latest film is Dreams of Paper and Ink, and it's about the premiere and takeoff on a national tour. He's going to be on in a little bit, and uh, stick around for that. Uh, stick around also because our weekly segments from Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm, he's going to be bringing you up to date with the movie news from the past week. And the three guys from Bonehead Weekly in Kentucky will be applying their, I guess, bluegrass twang to today's theme. Those guys are Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and James Thomas. Be interesting to see how they respond to me calling their thing bluegrass twang. But uh... <laughs> they don't listen to the show, mate. You don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> and then, of course, there's Jared Garn, the guy behind Monster Pictures, who has a fetish for uh, 4K on Ultra HD. Uh, and it is a fetish. Um, I don't and quite gym know. <laughs> and what? And gym socks. And gym socks. Gym, gym socks. <laughs> it's a throwback. It's a throwback. He's doing physical education. <laughs> well, PE class anyway. Oh, and mate, you that makes said you said that that was my worst bit. I proved <laughs> you wrong already. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's um that's a reference that nobody who's new to the show will understand. So there's your chore, everybody. Go back and listen from the start. <laughs> and if you do enjoy the podcast, then please support us on social media. We love that you love us. Uh, every like, comment, and share goes a long way and uh, helps us reach more people. And we do produce this content across all the social media platforms that we're on. So Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, you may have even seen Ben doing the Sprite Challenge on TikTok. Sam, are you on TikTok yet? No, haven't gone on TikTok. Should I? <laughs> I don't Should know. I? You, sounded, you sounded pretty disappointed about that. <laughs> You're just wasting that renegade dance that you're always practicing. <laughs> you have to let people see it. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta let my my celebrity shine. My you're inner you're celebrity inner, shine. You're, you're inner D'Amelio. You're inner D'Amelio. <laughs> When you said that, I thought, Emilio. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when you said that. I thought, Emilio. Hey, Lego my Emilio. <laughs> that, that means you're a movie geek. Hey, Ben, let's yeah. talk free stuff, mate. Um, we've got a very awesome prize up for grabs this month. Would you like to provide some details on that? Uh, yes. Joel from Dead End DVD, or as uh, we like to call him at Monster Pictures, uh, Dead End Drive-In. Uh, <laughs> has kindly given us a lovely 4K, uh, the 4K Arrow version of American Werewolf in London, oh, starring oh. the lovely Jenny Argader and a couple of other guys who I don't know what they did, but Jenny Argader. <laughs> uh, 
uh, directed by John Landis. And uh, you can uh, win it by jumping on our social media. On our, I think you go on our social media has the links, but our website has the competition. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, it looked incredible. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal collection. I'm very yeah. upset because I only have the Blu-ray myself, mm. and it's been very tempting to to switch it. Yeah, I've been told <laughs> I've been told I'm not allowed to, and I've been told I'm not allowed to yeah. enter the competition. It's very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is upsetting. I agree. We have had an avalanche of entries, so it's been fantastically oh, received. Um, and Ben, they're all suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Is it you? What, what kind of names? What kind of names are coming through? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Randy Goat. Lawrence uh, Lawrence. They're, they're all movie star names. They're it's Hen Bellwig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Kevin Nealon. Adam Sandler, so, like they just all these people, David Spade. I don't know, like they just they sound these names sound familiar, but just don't pay. They're real people. Um, they're legit. So to be precise, uh, go to goodmoviemonday.com, Follow the links to win that. Just um, follow the instructions, and uh, you're in for a chance. But do you want to give Joel a bit of a spruik? Um, explain to people what what Dead End DVD is. Dead End DVD is a I like to think of it as the last DVD store in Australia. It's not, but I like <laughs> to think of it that way. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, he operates out of uh, uh, Frankston or Mornington, uh, whatever. We're, it's far away. <laughs> it's far away from it's... me, but uh, still close enough for me to drive to. But he, he's an import. It's an import DVD store. He gets the latest and greatest releases from the US and the UK. Uh, and he does it at prices that will shock and awe you. So take that Amazon and Zavi and those <laughs> other online places. Now you can just go to Frankston and get them right away. None of this waiting for two weeks for the shipping or four weeks sometimes, thanks to Australia Post and their uh, their cost cutting and the ships not getting through to the country because of the COVID and all that sort of stuff. You can just get it direct direct from Dead End DVD. So I highly urge you to do that. So even if you miss out on the, the prize this month, you know, hopefully Dead End DVD is now in your psyche and you'll look it up because, you know, you'll get a bargain. You'll absolutely get a bargain. Yeah, you can you can literally go and buy the American Werewolf in London 4K. And let me tell you, it's going to be better than any edition that any Australian distributor puts out. Mm-hmm. And I work... Very good point. I've worked for several Australian distributors. So I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Indeed you do. Indeed you do. 4K is, exp- I'm just going to say 4K is just outrageously expensive. And that's why it's not our fault. Mm. It's just, you know, we have a third of the population of the UK and like a 16th of the population of the US. And yet it all costs us the same. That's why it's hard for Australian distributors to bring this stuff out. But mm. because of that, just you just go down to Dead End DVD and get the UK one. It plays and... on our Blu-ray phone. Excellent. It's easy. Plugeth endeth. There we go. Um, he's not a full sponsor, so we can't give him more time than the, the regular sponsors. <laughs> we love the guy, but come on, fork up, mate. Fork up. Yeah. That's just a taste. That's a taste of what he could have if he was a sponsor. It's amazing that, I mean, it's, that sounds better than us getting pissed on the kaiju beer. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's a great ad. It's a great ad for kaiju. <laughs> Except we're too pissed to be able to deliver it. But like, yeah. like the beer, the beer works. If there's any, if there's any, any doubt that the beer will work, it does work because uh, every time that, that Glenn and I have drunk it on the show, 
hammered. <laughs> the best the best endorsement we can give Kaiju Beer is that episode that I fucked up in the edit because I'll tell you what, it was all Kaiju's fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> so pissed. <laughs> so, moving along, what do you guys think? What comes to your mind when you think minimalist films? I, I think, well, I'm pretty sure when you said it, I was like, what do you mean? Because, <laughs> like, I don't think I really had anything that came to my mind. I mean, obviously, minimalist it implies, um, you know, I suppose when you're thinking about films, it implies something that's simple, like maybe the story's simple or the production is simple. So I suppose, I don't know, I was actually really stumped when you first told well, me. The interpretation's interesting because we're all going to have a different take, you know, ever so slightly perhaps. But, mm. I mean, minimalism is a thing. Like, you know, you go to film school, you learn minimalism and all that kind of stuff. Um, ben, where does your brain go? Well, look, I mean, look, I had a lot of trouble this week, obviously, because I was thinking about films with lists in them, not uh, minimalist <laughs> films. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going, Glenn. I'm going to flog that bit till it's, till it's well and truly dead. Uh, but, I mean, look, I automatically think of the dog, Dogma 95 films. I was going to bring it that is, up. It's pretty much what I would go to. And that's yes. another, that was, you know, that was one of the problems when deciding what to watch. Like, I don't want to watch any of those because along with being <laughs> minimalist films, and they're all great, but they're for me they're like one-time watches. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to have to go back and like as, as fun as 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 watching uh, grown men pretend to be uh, <laughs> handicapped and and going into women's change rooms in pools uh, amuse it like amuses me. I just like <laughs> I just don't want to. I don't want to watch you'd... the idiots again. I'm sorry. I was about to say you'd be talking the idiots. A uh, little bit of yeah. um, I guess if people have never heard of the dogma movement or the dogma 95 movement it was started by Lars von Trier back in 95 go figure uh and it was a it was a form of filmmaking that was I guess the epitome of minimalist because there were strict rules to all the filmmakers that participated you had to use natural light and natural sound only you could have no filters I think there was no superficial action allowed in i.e murders or you know weapons anything like that um there were no leaps in time it had to be all real time uh, and the director could never be credited, which um, is interesting because I think that is something they've since uh, changed because we do attribute these films to particular filmmakers now, particularly when they get like releases. There was no costumes either. The actors just had to come in their own clothes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that sort That's of right. Stuff. It's like a so, true, so... it's like a true, like independent film, like, a, yes. or even a, a student film almost. It was like cheap, I think is the code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't want to go there, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, and then Mumblecore, Mumblecore was the American That's right. kind of follow-on oh, movement yeah, yeah, yeah. to, the, you know, to yeah. the, all those Joe Swanberg and um, those two like, brothers. For, for example, um, Harmony Corinne's earlier films were very dogmatic, I guess you could call them. Um, yeah, there was a movie called Italian for Beginners. There was one called Fuckland. That was an interesting one. And um, <laughs> fuck, Fuckland might be a, a good segue for Jarrett's segment, so... Um, maybe we should rename it Jarrett Garn's Fuckland. Um, anyway, here he is. <laughs> Whatever that means. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE class. Unfortunately, this week I don't have a segment for you because guess what? I'm on holiday, so fuck you. 
And fuck you, Ben and Glenn. I'll be back from uh, June the 13th, I think it is, but I don't know. It's too early to tell. Why? Because I'm on holidays. Anyway, that's it for me for this month. Until next month, stay physical. Well, fuck that guy. <laughs> I want a holiday. Um <laughs> Ben, there's still there's still fucking releases to talk about. Um, have you have you got any idea what's coming out this week? As if I don't know that you've already planned something. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of, I, can't, I can't claim to have done the research that Jarrett usually does. I I I didn't care that much. But there are some interesting things yeah. uh, on the on the horizon that are due out. I think this Wednesday. Um, yeah. The big, the big kind of new releases are Blacklight, which we talked about on the show uh, when it came out uh, theatrically, the Liam yep. Neeson action movie. That's coming out on DVD and Blu-ray, but no extra features as far as I can tell, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately. There is also Spencer, which I know you quite enjoyed, Glenn. The, well, uh, yes and no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the uh, Princess Diana movie starring uh, the, obvious, the obvious choice that is... Uh, Kristen uh, Stewart. Kristen Stewart. Uh, when, I, when I think Diana, I think Kristen Stewart. Uh, yes. it, you know, it, I'm shocked that it took them this long to get her to play that part, the part she was born to play. Uh, that I know. Does, I, know. I, I immediately think of Catch That Kid when I think of the Royals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe that does actually have a featurette, uh, but no 4K. Sorry, Jarrett. I know you're looking forward to catching that one on super high def. Uh, and Panama is the other one from Madman Entertainment, which is a which is a another uh, Mel Gibson direct to video release. He's been, uh, he's been dropping a lot him. of those lately. He's like he's he's just he's getting the public used to seeing him in movies again. Yep. I guess because uh, it does it, it feels different to your your usual direct to video direct that a lot of actors fall into. You kind of feel like there's something mm. in motion here with his. But I like that he's he's staying in in South America as far away from the Jews as possible. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, get the Gringo Panama. He's keeping south of the border there. Uh, <laughs> so those are those are the new releases. Luckily, it is also Cinema Cult release week, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got they've got uh, three. Three new releases. The first one uh, is uh, Love Story, the Ryan O'Neill, Ali McGraw uh, film, which is great because I don't know about you guys, but right now I am glued to my television set watching The Offer, the making of the. You know I am. We began that journey together, mate. And it was, it was. I think it was bad luck for Love Story because prior, prior to The Godfather coming out, it was the biggest box office film of that year, and then it just got totally demolished by The Godfather when that came out. Well, you know, if The Godfather had um, come out, then The Offer would have been a very different series. It would have been well, a better yes, love right. story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's that. that's coming out. Also, The Collector, the um, William Wyler uh, film, uh, which is very kind of creepy, very good film. And The Mind of Mr. Soames, which I've never heard of. Uh, none of these, unfortunately, none of these releases have any extras, as far as I can tell from yep. uh, the press releases that uh, Cinema Cult have sent out. Not surprising. I guess it's, you know, they've changed the design of their slips, but it's still the same Cinema Cult that uh, you know and yep. love. And I look forward to them being $7 so I can so I can pick them up during a JB Hi-Fi sale for $3.50. Uh, 
Spoken, uh, spoken look, like a man that comes from distribution himself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but those are the releases for uh, this week. Fantastic. Let me nice. put in some kind of weird sound effect to signal the end of that so we can move on to the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also there's a Pokemon there's a Pokemon movie of some sort, but I'm too old for that shit. I don't care. Okay, so once again, I have made a habit of doing this for the last few weeks just because we do have some new listeners on board. The general gist of this podcast is pretty much recommendations. We take a theme this week, obviously minimalist films, and then we uh, we talk about some that we would recommend to you. And we have a letterbox account where you can actually look up what we've been talking about in case you forget and don't want to go back and listen to us all over again. So, <laughs> Ben, um, would you like to kick us off, mate? What is your first recommendation? Is this a mini list film? Or a minimalist yeah. film. <laughs> I, look, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, I looked it up. I did look it up on the internet for a list of minimalist films, and they always come back with these classic, like either the Dogma films or films by like Bunnell or, you know, <laughs> just those guys. Like, I don't know. The one that kept the one that kept coming up when I was looking was Twelve Angry Men. Like it's not actually well, minimalist yeah. film. Like it is a one set film, but it's like also it, it had a pretty big production. There were cameras everywhere. There was fucking crew. Like it wasn't mm. that minimalist. Well, I think you know, like some of the a couple of the definitions and stuff I read. It actually it it, it can not have anything to do with the amount of cameras and and action. Yeah. It's more like that the plot is sure. pretty straightforward. No twists. It's just a like mm. a one act thing yeah. and. You know, the whole so look so I mean this one's interesting. It came, it did come up on a couple of lists, more so another film by the same director, but this one did appear. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna stick with it because it is one of my all-time favorite films. Uh it is possibly the coolest film ever made. It is 1967's Le Samurai by Jean-Pierre <laughs> yes. Melville. Have you guys ah. seen have you guys seen Le Samurai? No. I'm I'm, I'm gonna say I, no. I've heard of I'm, it. I may have very long time ago, but I couldn't have any. I couldn't pull any recollections of it. I will say, look, it's it's out. Criterion have released it on Blu-ray. It's out in a couple of places on Blu-ray. Every now and then, back in the day, the Aster would show it. They would do like a mini season of Le Samurai and Le Cercle Rouge, the other mm. uh, one of the Luck. other Melville films. He's done it. The done other Luck film, more. but uh, the other <laughs> Le, Le Cercle Rouge. <laughs> is definitely worthwhile seeing at a cinema like the Astor. Like it is, it's one that you want to devote all your attention to. It is, it is amazing. The, the, the plot is pretty simple. Um, it stars Alan Delon and he's a hitman named Jeff Costello working in the French, working for the French uh, underworld. And um, he is tasked with killing this guy who owns, who runs a nightclub and he goes and does the job but he's spotted by the nightclub singer leaving the room after he's killed the guy. And the rest of the film is him trying to sort out his alibi for the cops and just getting himself in deeper and deeper trouble with all his kind of shenanigans. I think, I think in the film, Alan Delon maybe has six lines of dialogue. Right. Uh, But it's just him kind of running around getting more and more desperate in in 60s uh in 60s uh paris uh it is it is like i said like from the set design the soundtrack the whole mood of the film it is just the coolest film you will ever see so at what point at at what point in the story does it become a samurai (laughs) 
<laughs> well, he's a he's a Ronin. He's a, like a gun for hire. That's awesome. cool. He's always oh. he's always the samurai. Mate, is, is that your recommendation uh, right there? Is yeah. that it? Because that is that, tidy, tidy effort, mate. That is your quickest whippers, like <laughs> snazzy, mate, snazzy. Well, the next one it really next makes one, me want to watch it. Yeah, the next one's going to be even longer. <laughs> Hang on. All right, Sam, we're going to handball it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm very keen to see how you are, how you interpret this. I know. I I I went a bit rogue, to be honest, but I. You know, okay. Did you choose rogue? <laughs> no. <laughs> have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what you chose? No. no. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think about how to explain how I came across and how I chose my movies, but was it like the rest of us where you just did a search on Google for minimalist Netflix? And, <laughs> well, I did that. I did that. I did the exact same thing. That's generally called show prep. <laughs> when you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did go online and, and I just couldn't find anything that I was like, yeah, that, you know. So anyway, I was just um <laughs> So so I failed out. you as a as a host. <laughs> <laughs> you really you really gave her a difficult show to come on to come on board with. It's like let's make this like even last week, last week was wartime treasure and you went, No, that's too hard, just treasure hunt movies. This week, even harder, no reprieve. <laughs> yeah. I kind of I just decided to because okay I was I was sitting down just chilling this was me time this was me time and I was on yep exactly that that sounds so sad but anyway um but I was on prime and I was just looking through different movies and I found this one and after I watched it I'm like oh I could do this because it's it's the most minimalist film I think I've watched for a while um but it's called dibbit fox the story of chris chambers mm, yeah never heard of it <laughs> yeah it came out in 2019 and a lot of prime there is a lot of like really small films on prime which is interesting um if you ever feel like watching random stuff but that's because they don't pay their filmmakers but okay. no they pay they pay, you minutes, <laughs> they pay you in minutes watched yeah. oh really that that's, how it, that's how it works. Yeah, oh. Amazon Amazon Prime is one of the few that is relatively uncurated. So oh, anyone, okay. anyone with an account, and it, you do have to jump through some hoops to get the the account. Mm. If you, you can put whatever films you want up, uh, and they'll pay you by the minutes watched. Like, oh, okay, you know, interesting. A couple of yeah. cents. Per right. So, so Sam, minute. I don't I don't want to hijack your segment. I'm just I just want to. You know, yeah, sort of give some context to this. What made you land on this one? Because I'm looking at like the thumbnail that would have been on Amazon Prime. Nothing about yeah. that says "Watch Me." No, not at all. I had trouble when you mentioned the name of the film. I had trouble spelling the name and <laughs> couldn't find it. I, I am a, a. I will admit, I watch Ghost Adventures. I loved Ghost Hunter. I think I watched Ghost Hunters like ten or. 15 years ago I can't even remember but I watch I love that stuff and so really honestly that's why I clicked on it because even on YouTube I watch all of those ghost adventure type videos that they do ghost hunting and um I I I think that's probably why I I think I just stumbled upon it I'm like and it's really short it's such a short film um that I was like yeah you know I'll just chuck it on 
And it actually really, it kind of surprised me. Um, it's basically about a YouTuber who buys a Dybbuk box off of the dark web. What's and it's a, a box that I believe it, it's Hebrew. So it's, it's from like the Jewish um, community where they uh, put a, a demon inside a box. Or oh, they tra- trapped a spirit inside it, a box. Is it the Hellraiser cube? <laughs> no, well, well, oh God. Um, <laughs> that's very, that's more complicated than what a Dybbuk box is. <laughs> and then Mel Gibson says, fuck off. But yeah, <laughs> Mel Gibson doesn't believe. <laughs> so that's, how, that's how they dispel it at the end of the film, right? Mel Gibson yeah. comes along and goes, this is horseshit. It's not real. And then everything just, it just disappears. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be really interesting. And then, yeah, yeah. You killed Jesus. um but yeah no it's basically a box that they've trapped an evil spirit in um and the spirit technically um it it wants to get out and and as soon as it gets out it it attaches to whoever's uh nearby so basically the story is about him buying this box and he does all these tests on it like you would a normal youtuber that does this ghost hunting type stuff and um you know getting evps and the heat changes and things move um it's actually really exciting and suspenseful and um obviously as most of these stories unfortunately the end is um not not as exciting um it's more of the build-up that's the best part of the film but it all takes place in his tiny home um, it's all filmed like a, a YouTuber would film his film. Yeah. Is that that's that's the sequel? Is the tiny home? My life in a van. That's right. You, know? you can yeah. you can watch you can watch oh. ghost hunting shows on on Amazon Prime, or you can watch Little Houses. <laughs> yeah. Tiny tiny homes. And there's just him too. There, there's just him and this other girl that comes in for like a really short a period of time, but it is just him. And, and is he is he played by Peter Dinklage? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Why did you say that? Where did that come from? Well, because he lives lives in a tiny home. <laughs> oh God. He <laughs> <No. laughs> was in Bag End. <laughs> Ben's going to get cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're going to have fun looking that one up, Ben, for, for Letterboxd if you can't spell it. Yeah, maybe I'll just let you do it like you did this week. Leave <laughs> it to you. <laughs> awesome, Sam. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to check out at least a trailer just to see what that's all about because, it's like, yeah. that, like I said, the thumbnail is interesting. It's like an hour long. Have you seen, have you seen, have you seen Muirhouse, Sam? No, don't so. It's a similar. It's a similar one. It's a. It's a monster pictures release. I was about to say, oh. who distributed that, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> by my good friend, directed by my good friend uh, Tan, and it is available on Channel Seven Catch Up. Oh, okay, cool. If you can see it, hmm. that's a. That's set in the Monte in the Montecito home, the most haunted house in Australia. Oh, yeah. right. Guy, yeah. guy, and like a, once again, an internet debunker. Spends uh, a night in the right. in Homestead. Yeah, oh, I love that stuff. Yeah, I'll watch it yeah. definitely. 
How's it going everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with David Cronenberg, whose latest film still hasn't hit cinemas yet, it's called Crimes of the Future. He's already lined up his next film, and it sure sounds like the type of story the man behind The Fly, Scanners, A History of Violence, and Eastern Promises would gravitate to. The project is titled The Shrouds, and will have Vincent Cassell playing a widower who likes to watch his deceased wife decomposing. Yeah. Okay, so there is a bit more to it. As described by Deadline, the film will see Cassell playing Karsh, an innovative businessman and grieving widower who builds a novel device to connect with the dead inside a burial shroud. The burial tool installed at his own state-of-the-art, though controversial, cemetery allows him and his clients to watch their specific departed loved ones decompose in real time. Karsh's revolutionary business is on the verge of breaking into the international mainstream when several graves within his cemetery are vandalized and nearly destroyed, including that of his wife. While he struggles to uncover a clear motive for the attack, the mystery of who wrought this havoc and why, drive him to reevaluate his business, marriage and fidelity to his late wife's memory as well as push him to new beginnings. This will be a reunion for Cassell and Cronenberg, the two previously worked together on Eastern Promises and A Dangerous Method. Cameras on the film are expected to begin rolling in March 2023. The First Omen, a prequel to 1976 horror film The Omen, is now in the works at 20th Century Studios. The studio has hired its director, Arkasha Stevenson, making her featured editorial debut following TV shows such as Legion, Channel Zero, and Brand New Cherry Flavor. Arkasha Stevenson is also going to be behind the project's screenplay rewrite, working alongside writing partner Tim Smith. A follow-up to 2018 dark comedy thriller A Simple Favor is now in the works at Lionsgate and Amazon Studios. The first film's two leads, Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, are reportedly on board the sequel, with director Paul Feig and screenwriter Jessica Scharzer also set to return in the same capacity. A Simple Favor did well both critically and financially, earning a worldwide box office that topped $97 million from a budget of around 20. And with a film that left the door open for a second chapter, a sequel was a bit of a no-brainer. And a film that Francis Ford Coppola has been trying to get off the ground for around 20 years now is finally going ahead. Adam Driver, Forrest Whitaker, Natalie Emmanuel, John White, Lawrence Fishburne are among the cast of Megalopolis. Coppola is both directing and writing the independently financed film. According to Coppola's own description, the fate of Rome haunts a modern world unable to solve its own social problems in this epic story of political ambition, genius and conflicted love. According to Deadline, essentially the film is about the struggle to create a utopia after an accident leaves New York in need of a rebuild. The details are still hard to come by, but this sounds like a very intriguing new film from the filmmaker that gave us The Godfather, Apocalypse Now and other films. Looking forward to seeing what he delivers with this one. And David Duchovny is set to direct, star in and write an adaptation of his own book called Bucky Fucking Dent. The film is going to be taking place in 1978 New York and the company will play Marty, father to Ted. Upon learning that Marty is dying, Ted decides to move back home and take care of his dad. He's also hoping that he can get closer to him after all these years. Ted notices that his dad, Marty, is a big Red Sox fan and that his health is actually getting worse every time that team loses a game. So to help his dad, he comes up with a plan to create an illusion like the team is having a winning streak. Soon members of the neighborhood, including Marty's grief counselor, Mariana, are all in on the plan to help his father get a bit better by making him believe that Red Sox are doing well. Cameras on Bucky fucking Dent will be rolling later this year. And thanks to Acorn Media, we're giving away 10 DVD copies of The Responder, the entire miniseries 
acclaimed miniseries starring Martin Freeman. A highly applauded series this one, I suggest you check it out. Thanks so much for having me everyone. As always, ScreenRealm.com for your latest movie, TV, news, trailers, all that jazz, as well as your streaming schedules. Catch you next week. So that's a good little number. That's No Way to Live by Sean Watkins from the movie Bug. William Freakin's Bug. Talk about a minimalist film. That's Bug. just um, it's Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon, and it's all just in one room covered in tinfoil. It's, yeah, it's such a good movie. It's all about paranoia yeah. and a guy that thinks his skin has bugs under it, stuff like that. Yeah. AKA, he's just an ice addict, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. They originally called it ice, and they just thought we need ice, another three yeah. letters. Yeah, <laughs> bug. <laughs> but um, yes, and before that, of course, Screen Realm. I don't really ever need to plug Screen Realm because Guillermo does it himself. But um, you know, I do recommend people go and visit ScreenRealm.com. Just as he said, go follow their socials too. It's a labor of love for those guys. They put a lot into it, and they deserve your attention as much as we do. So go and uh, give them some support. Um, but now this is the, the feature segment of the show, a conversation I had with Glenn Triggs, who I would call one of Australia's most, I guess, prolific and inspiring independent filmmakers. This is a guy who knows how to stretch a budget, that's for sure. And, and what an awesome product he does deliver. He essentially makes movies for next to nothing using bare minimum, minimum of our resources. Until now, uh, I think he's probably most successful film was a stunning little 2012 time travel movie called 41 which I think is creeping up on 3 million views on YouTube. Um, and you do hear Glenn uh, talk about that uh, on the on the conversation. Sam, did you get a chance to see 41 at all? I did drop you a link, but no, it was very, no, la it was very last minute. Yeah, That's I haven't. Okay. I haven't. I, I'm super intrigued, though. Like, yeah. I love it, those kind of films, so... Yeah, it's it's the kind of movie that proves all you need is a really good idea and just the tenacity to make it happen. And yeah, you know, it's, exactly. It's one of the mm. most effective time travel stories I've seen in a very yeah. long time. But this guy has made six feature length films, believe it or not. 
Uh, one of them that Monster Pictures uh, distributed, uh, which was called Apocalyptic, a very, very effective uh, found footage style movie about a cult. He made a cool little slasher movie called Cinemaphobia, which uh, was, I think, one of his very, very early ones. And then he did a Goonies-inspired family adventure a couple of years ago called The Comet Kids, which was a very sort of ambitious period piece um, that, uh, yeah, it's worth a look to. That got DVD distribution. But his latest movie is called Dreams of Paper and Ink, easily his best film, in my opinion. I fell in love with this one the second I saw it. There's no dialogue whatsoever. The story wow. is incredibly moving. Uh, but anyway, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Glenn explain that to you in just a second. Good Movie Monday is made possible with help from Kaiju Beer. Unashamedly intense Australian craft beer. Hey Glenn, welcome to Good Movie Monday. I reckon it's been long overdue, but it is great to be chatting with you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, it is such a pleasure to, to have you on the show. I've been I mean I've been watching your work for many years. I've seen most of your films. Um, but yeah, cool. your newest one is uh, Dreams of Paper and Ink. It's, yes. If I'm not mistaken, it's your seventh film. Something like that, yeah. I think it's – I'm pretty sure it's the seventh or the eighth. It's, it's getting up Bloody there, hell. yeah. Bloody <laughs> hell, man. Well, I, I can say that I've seen four of your films. Uh, so, I yeah, I'm a fan of what you do. But I can say without reservation that uh, this one is definitely your best film by a country mile. Oh, that's good to hear. It's um, it's interesting to hear people because it hasn't fully been released, I guess, yet. So it's really good to get feedback from people that have actually seen it. And everyone seems to like it, which is surprising. I thought a lot of people wouldn't like it, to be honest. That's my initial. I, th- I, I thought for a long time the film was far too boring. And then yeah, um, right. we showed a lot of people and everyone sort of got, you know, a lot out of, a lot out of it. So... Um, yeah, it's it is an odd one, and I think I I guess kind of intentionally, it's it's both conventional and unconventional at the same time. Can you just describe it to our listeners who haven't heard of it? So it's a, a dialogue-free film. Uh, it's a feature-length movie, and it's about an elderly novelist, and he, I guess, gets propositioned to write, you know, his next great novel sort of thing, and he decides to write his most personal story yet, and he goes off, and he kind of goes back in time to his first um, love or his first relationship. And he gets involved with these characters through his imagination, I guess, mostly. Um, and yeah, he writes this story and sort of rediscovers a lot of stuff along the way that he sort of missed the first time that he lived through it. Um, it's very, um, it's, it's kind of artsy, I guess. It's a bit sort of dreamy. It's a bit poetic. There's a lot of music in the film, but yeah, no one says any dialogue. Um, well, there might, there might be like one, one word, I think that's about it really, but the, yeah. the story is not driven by dialogue at all. Um, it's all based on looks and writing and, and songs and things like that. So it's um, definitely the, my most unique film um, and most personal film as well. Without that, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much story you're able to tell without that dialogue. Had the film occupied space in your mind for a long time? Is this something that's been with yeah, you? Yeah, about a year, about a year or so. I, I wanted to make something small because Comet Kids was quite a large film and that took a lot of energy and a lot of time. And I thought, I'm just going to go off and make a little film, kind of like what I did with Apocalyptic, like just a little sort of tiny movie that we can shoot in like a month, you know, maybe spend about five or $6,000 on it, nothing too crazy. Um, and I was listening to a lot of music, like heaps of music for months and months and months. And I kept getting these ideas and I'm like, oh, I've got this idea. It's about this, you know, relationship that I had when I was a lot younger. It sort of, you know, shaped my future, I guess, per se. And I learned a lot from it. Um, and it affected me too, I guess, as it, as, you know, as relationships do with people. That's what humans are. That's what we do. Um, and yeah, I listened to a lot of music and then I tried to write the script for many months and I couldn't get it. I sort of had these feelings and these ideas, but they weren't 
working on paper at all. And then I was going for a walk. I remember exactly where I was. I was just up around the corner from here, my place. And I was walking and I sort of thought to myself, what if they just don't say any words? Like, what if there's just no dialogue in the whole film? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's the film that I need to make. Like that, it freed up a lot of things for me. I could just do it through visuals and music and looks and, and, and writing and text. And that, as soon as I thought that, it just made me super excited to want to make the film because it just sort of worked a lot better in my head, like in that sense. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, did, yeah. did having that lack of dialogue, uh, dialogue free up uh, room to be experimental and improvise or did it make things trickier ultimately? Uh, it made things a lot easier. It made it made sort of everything a lot easier, to be honest. Um, the script was 30 pages. It was quite short for like, you know, a feature length sort of film. Um, the actors didn't have to memorize any lines, which was great. So it was, yeah, a lot of it was, yeah, a lot easier, which is a good thing, I think, like surprising. Ooh, yeah, totally. Like, so like, tell me what the script looked like. So it was short. Um, I'm going to guess it, there was, obviously there was no dialogue, but was it like a scene by scene breakdown? Uh, how yeah, much of yeah, it, it was, was telling the actors to improvise? Um, yeah, it was pretty, it's kind of like if you took any sort of script and just took all the dialogue bits out, <laughs> what was left was sort of what the script was. It was just um, all the directions of what they were doing and what they were thinking. Um, and because I based, I guess, the characters so much on my own life and own experiences, it was very, very easy to direct this film because I knew exactly, mostly exactly what the actors were going through at, at any given point. So if someone says, oh, how should I be standing? I'm like, oh, we're actually standing like this because that's how it happened. Mm. And so that was um, a great thing to to have access to, I guess. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a good, um, I'm, I'm really glad we did it the way we did it because I don't think it would have worked with dialogue, I think it would have been a whole yeah. different film, and it would have been, yeah, completely different. And I love hearing, I love hearing that, like how much of yourself is in the film because it is such a beautiful film, and it's quite a sucker punch too. Like I really felt this film. Um, oh, good. Were there were there any other sort of influences, you know, maybe cinematically that you drew upon? There was actually none for this film. I know with all the other movies I've ever done, I've always you know copied or been inspired by or drawn from. Like I think 41 was very much based on Field of Dreams. Apocalyptic was Blair Witch Project. Comic Kids was kind of like the Goonies. This film was just me. Like I, I, there was no sequences. There was no um, anything in this film that was like, oh, you know, it worked in this movie. I'm going to use it for my film. It was just completely, this is just exactly how I feel for this scene or this moment or, you know, this uh, the whole the whole film really. So I only realized that recently because, um, yeah, I have been very heavily inspired in the past to, you know everyone does it everyone sort of you know mm, it's of course very heavily inspired to um you know you copy elements sometimes it's like i'm going to make a film like this because i like this movie and this movie i'm going to mix these two movies together to make this film um and this was just purely just myself so that was um very cathartic and very enjoyable to to do to make which well, is good i'm glad you say that with like such sincerity too because this next um comment is going to be a compliment to you because i think if i were to describe it i'd say that you you've sort of taken the best elements of terence malick's work and put it into your film because it really like i'm not a fan of terence malick's storytelling but i'm a huge fan of his way of capturing the world and moments and i think your film looks like a low budget terence malick film and it's just beautiful oh that's good yeah i, I have seen some of his films i think was it the new world i remember liking quite a lot yeah. I think it's called The New World. I thought that was quite a great 
film. He's a very interesting director, apparently. I've heard a lot of stuff yeah. about him. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a movie he did called Tree of Life, and I think the uh, the first um, the first act of that film, there's a lot of a lot of that in your film, and the fact that you haven't drawn upon that influence is like that's such a huge compliment like, yeah i haven't like, seen it? that i haven't seen tree of life that's brad pitt i think is that right in that film? yeah right yeah yep. i've seen the thin red line i think he did as well and from memory I've seen yep. that once a long time ago i'm gonna watch that again <laughs> actually but yeah i haven't yeah i did it wasn't yeah i didn't directly whether i was you know subconsciously drawing from stuff that i didn't realize but hmm. yeah as far as i'm aware there was no yeah nothing, nothing being copied <laughs> and pasted in this film which was good yeah Here's a couple more reasons why I think I may be connected to the film um, as much as I did. Um, I got married in Redwood Forest, so... Oh, did you really? I did. So immediately, oh, like, your film opens up there and I'm like, oh, gosh, this is great. Here's an um, even weirder thing to that. The day we filmed that, there was a wedding happening, like, that exact uh, day we, we shot that scene. And there was actually a lot of people around when we shot that. There was, like, about 100 people walking through that forest that day. So it was amazing we shot what we did without seeing anyone. I think if you look yeah. very, very closely, you will, I've, I noticed two people in the background um, that shouldn't be there, but yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't notice anyone, but oh, that's amazing that you got married. That's great. It's a great location. We, I it love is, it there. It is, it is. And the other thing is that you shot on a beach that I practically grew up on. Like, cause I, I'm a Phillip Island kid, you know, every oh, other weekend, great. Okay. holiday house down there. And yep. yeah, so, yep. and yeah, I just recognize so much of it and just, it, it was nostalgic for me to be watching this as well. Yeah, we shot a fair bit of it at Phillip Island. That was always because this, the, the what the film is based on actually happened at Phillip Island. A lot of it, like all this beachside house stuff. So, um, yeah, we shot a lot of it around sort of that area and and Phillip Island's. It's very. Um, it, it, you kind of can't predict what sort of stuff is down there. Like if you look around, it's huge down there at Phillip Island. And what's even crazier is I think it's, is it French Island that's next door to Phillip Island? Yeah. yeah. That's even bigger. That's almost twice yeah. as big as Phillip Island, which is nuts. So it's, um, yeah, Australia's got some very interesting locations, yeah. which is great. I mean, to my knowledge, there's been quite a few movies um, filmed on Phillip Island, but there's only ever been one filmed on French Island. So more people oh, really? need to get over there. Yeah. What's the, the Aussie film? film um, Storm Warning. It's an Everett oh. DeRoche film directed by Jamie Blanks. Uh, it's great. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. But all about like a, it's a bit like Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Phillip Island. Oh, great. I'm oh, sorry. French Island, sure. I should say. I remember Jamie French Blanks. Island. That's awesome. Okay, great. Excellent. Yeah. It's, um, um, it was always going to be Phillip Island. And we just, yeah, we looked and we got very lucky with weather, but very lucky. Oh, I, for whatever reason, I just get very lucky with weather for some reason. So that last sequence, which is, I think, the most important sequence in the whole film where we had this sunset. I think we've shot over two different nights or two different afternoons and just got sort of the same sunset twice, which just never happens. And, um, and I think soon after we left that location, a whale beached itself there like a few months later or something. And it was sitting there for like a year before it, you know, dissolved <laughs> into the ocean or something. So that was mm. crazy, but yeah, Phillip Island definitely, they were great. Everyone, everyone down there was very helpful and it, um, yeah, locations yeah, were amazing. You've so. captured it in a very stunning way for sure. How can people um how can people see the film? What's happening with it? Well, the movie uh, will premiere at Lido Cinemas on May the twentieth. I'm pretty sure is the day, um, which is a Friday, seven pm. Tickets are on sale now through the Lido mm -hmm. website, and then we've got a few other cinemas which will be announced um, very soon. So, um, but yeah, at right right now, the, the easiest way to get it is to yeah get a ticket for this uh, premiere and, and Q and A session afterwards with with the actors. Fantastic. And I would uh, recommend everybody just find you on um, or find the film on social media and follow follow its progress that way. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, as I said, Glenn, such a stunning film. I I'm excited for this one, and I hope hope it does good things. Do you plan on taking it to you know film markets or film festivals? Yeah, well, it's been at two film markets already, that it hasn't really done anything yet because I think the um from what I've heard, the last two film markets have all gone online because of COVID. And yeah. no one's been out there and stuff, but I think it's off to the Berlin film market. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a market that exists. That's what I got told recently anyway. Um, and yeah, they're hoping that, yeah, someone will pick it up there. So I, I, it'll find a home somewhere eventually for sure. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, it's just doing a, a small sort of theatrical release around locally. Awesome. Well, good luck with it, mate. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I'd love to get you back on. Maybe uh, next time we can get you at the desk for a full episode and talk about whatever you've got next. That'd be great. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Funzai. Funzies would be so much cooler, I'm telling you. We're, we're, we're too many in this episode. I don't like think there's here. anything cool about anything we do. Anyway, we're talking about minimalist movies. Now, what is a minimalist film? James. That's what I was going to say. So is it a film that's, you know, filmed only in one location? So there's not much, you know, you don't have to scout a lot of locations. Is it a film that, you know, is just two people talking? Is it a film? How do you all define it? Well, Chad said technically the Evil Dead behind me, right, Chad? Yeah, I consider the Evil Dead a minimalist film because it all don't... takes place inside of a cab. But it doesn't to me because minimalist films is like two people talking at a table, like my dinner with Andre. Oh. Some of it, I was going to say, some of it doesn't take place in that cabin. Them trees ain't to be trusted. <laughs> got you there. Got he does have me there. Yeah, but my dinner with Andre, so I'll go first. My dinner with Andre is not the one that picked. It just sprang into my mind when you're asking me. The one I picked is actually takes place for the most part in accordance based on a play is 12 Angry Men. Sidney Lumet is one of my favorite directors of all time. I read his autobiography and I love 12 Angry Men. It's, it's one of the best cast pictures of all time. I actually mm -hmm. even like the remake they did for Showtime. I, I like 12 Angry Men. I don't know that it's my favorite Lumet film. It's it's really up there between that network and Dog Day. I, I mean, there's just so many good ones. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, 12 Angry Men, 12 guys, jury, all men arguing one guy says i don't know i don't think we should convict and then the there is a reasonable doubt and the next hour and 45 minutes of watching everyone's story play out and i say this a lot at work recently it's not black and white these people aren't black and white they're shades of gray and not even though you may get really mad and hate a couple of them towards the end they're not evil they're just all biased it's seriously, talking about the remake, one of George C. Scott's best performances. Yeah, period. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Jack Lemon and his guy. So, I mean, check them both out. And nothing's yeah. better than the black and white Sidney Lumet version, but loved it. Found it as a child and loved it all my life. Okay. So mine is probably going to be defined as not a minimalist film, but I've always viewed it, viewed it as a minimalist film because it kind of takes place in one of two scenes John Landis's Oscar. <laughs> Hmm. You know, you know uh, I don't think he does either because he He's didn't want Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah, he didn't want Sylvester Stallone. But yeah. Sylvester Stallone in that movie, in my eyes, with John Landis, proved that Sylvester Stallone could do comedy. It Rhinestone didn't convince you? It, no, but no. Up the top did. So, not as many. Well, you know, and and uh, at least Joe loves. Joe laughs hilariously every time a child's mother dies. And that does beat Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, who has a laugh every 90 seconds. No, I really love, I just love Oscar, and I always viewed it as a minimalist film. There are scenes, like, outside on the street, but for the most part, it takes place in two or three rooms, in a building, in a house, and the cast, just like 12 Angry Men, 
makes that film. I could go on and on about the whole cast. I'm not going to because we have a set, we have a short amount of time from it's it's just nonstop, quick action, quick pace, quick joke, bang, 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 bang. I thought for a brief second, but it was made for HBO of talking about Sunset Limited. But I'm gonna talk about another movie that's meaningless that tells a a story throughout history, but takes place at a small party, a retirement party. And that's the man from Earth. That's a movie by, no one talks about. That's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Uh, I was, on, I was honestly, I was going to bring it up, but I thought one of you two were going to grab it. So, go based on Jerome Bixby, who is a phenomenal author, uh, and sadly has passed, but directed by Richard Schenkman, uh, it's got a great cast, and it's literally one individual telling that he has pretty much been alive forever. Yep, and having to reveal this at his retirement party because he's not really retiring. He has to move on before people figure out who he is. Yep. And he tells all these colleagues that he's been working with is at a university about his life story and about where he was and about what he did. And so it's got a great cast, Tony Todd and John Billingsley. If you're a Star Trek enterprise fan, Fox is Billingsley. It's a great actor, but it's, it's got a great cast, but it's very small, very small cast, very tight setting. It is a, a very, movie. very small budget, too. It almost, a lot of it looks like it's shot with a home video camera, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it actually has grain to the video, and that is because the whole movie was shot using two Panasonic DVX 100 camcorders. Yeah. So it's got a grainy look to the film. It was it was very low budget, but it's a great story. The Man from Earth, check it out. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Thank you, Boneheads. Uh, look, as James mentioned, The Man from Earth. Man, that is a, that is a fantastic uh, film. Have you seen that one, Sam? No, I haven't. I, I've heard of it, definitely, but haven't yeah. actually seen it. What he didn't mention, which I think might have just been cut out of the edit, is that they did make a sequel to that uh, a few years ago with William Cat and David Lee Smith reprising their roles. Ah. Um, yes, that's a really, really great little um, stuck-in-a-cabin telling everyone that you're an alien and trying to convince yeah. them kind of, kind of story. But, um, yeah. So you can catch Joe, Chad, and James on their own podcast, Bonehead Weekly. Uh, some of their most recent episodes include anthology films and anthology TV shows. They also did a Bruce Willis episode, and they do feature special guests from time to time. Now, Sam, we need to address... Uh, ben is not with us at the moment. Yeah. Um, whilst the Boneheads were playing, he did have a little bit of a, a crisis to attend to, so he had to step away. So it's you and me. Then there were two. Then there were two. <laughs> are, you, are you ready for it, Sam? I am. I think. I hope. <laughs> you don't sound too excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben's like, I don't know, he's so quick and witty and <laughs> so much, so much pressure. Well, here we go. Let's let's see how you hold up under the pressure. Uh, you're up next. You've got another recommendation. Do you want to fire away? I do. Yes. Um, so my second one was, I don't know, it just kind of came to me and I said, you know what, I'm going with it. And um, it's The Strangers. Oh, wow. Yeah. From 2008. Mm. Mm-hmm. The, the horror film. I kind of went on the, the horror genre this time. Um, and, yeah, basically, um, I don't know. Uh, it was it, it, it came out after oh when did it come out after it was kind of like one of those those films that like that funny games that was, like home invasion yeah yeah it was it was kind of that that peak of those kinds of home invasion uh type stories but also the inspired by true events um yeah which obviously got started by or at least 
most of my generation knew it from Blair Witch. So when when it first came out and the, the trailer said that it was inspired by true events, I, I was right on that because I was like, really? And, um, and basically what I found at the time was that the only part of it that was true was that this one time he was home alone, the, the director and writer, which is uh, Brian Bettino, um, when he was home alone, he some girl knocked on his door asking for, for a, an unknown person that he didn't know. And he was like, she doesn't live here. And the girl left. And nothing else happened. But that's what he wrote this whole story around. So when they say inspired by true events, it's it's very loosely inspired by true it's events. It's the old Texas Chainsaw Massacre inspired by true events type of thing. Yeah, like they exactly. use it they use it for a way to sell a film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't anger me or anything, but I was just I, I always have to find out when whenever they say that kind of thing. Um but yeah, the strangers has Liv Tyler and um Scott Speedman. And um Basically, there there are a couple who who after a wedding go back to mm-hmm. his parents' place, and uh, yeah, they have this girl knock on the door, and it's creepy, and um, they're very well. She's more nervous than he is, but it it obviously escalates from there, um, and and um, I mean it's a horror film, so it's. <laughs> It's, I think the reason why I chose it as a minimalist film was probably because it does take place on this one property mm-hmm. and it's, it, it has, it really doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Like, mm-hmm. obviously it, it's, it's not like um, some of the films that you mentioned where there's no dialogue, but there, there's, there's very little actually going on but it's still quite impressive how it makes you scared it makes you you put your yourself in the shoes of these people who are in this house because it's it's realistic the whole thing is so realistic because even parts of it where you know the, the parts of um these well I guess the strangers uh that that invade this home they they're still human and so they don't see sometimes what the other characters are doing and yeah it's just really impressive I think I I it's one of the films that I I really always remember enjoying because of that aspect of like they're they're all human they're not it's not Mike Myers you know you don't yeah. kill him and he comes back. It's They are all still very human. In and it. there's nothing more terrifying, I think, than a home invasion or the concept of it because, you know, home is our sanctuary. It's where we're comfortable. And for someone exactly. to intrude on you is, you know, the ultimate violation. So, yeah, yeah. look, uh, good choice. I, I That definitely qualifies. Um, and it's funny <laughs> that you talked about there not being much dialogue because mine is my first uh, recommendation is the complete opposite. This is a yeah. movie. I like to call these movies walkies because quite often it's just... Yeah walking and talking and that is uh, yeah. the movie. Yeah. This is a film I fell in love with. It hit me like a sledgehammer when I first saw it, um, but it also was one of those films I was probably going through film school and this reassured me that, you know, all you need is a camera and a good script and you can make a movie. And mm. it's called Jerry. It's a movie from 2002 written and starring 
Matt Damon and Casey Affleck. They wrote it together. And this is about as minimalist as you can get because it is a story about two guys. They park their car at a national park. They go for a hike. And as they're walking and talking, they eventually sort of get so engrossed in their conversation that they fail to realize that they're strayed away from the trail. So they become disorientated and they can't find their way back. And so as dusk begins to approach, panic sets in. And then, as you can imagine, their ordeal just spirals into frustration and that leads to anger and hostility. And it is this film that just builds up the pressure is like a volcano it just builds and builds and builds but it is essentially when you know when all is said and done just two guys walking and talking but it is so completely engaging and like i said you know these movies you know they come along every now and then movies like the tracker and even the way that emilio directed it a few years ago (laughs) you know they're they're if if you've got a good story with some good conversation to tell you know these are amazing films this one was directed by Gus Van Sant now I find him to be a really interesting filmmaker some people love him other people hate him I kind of I'm somewhere in the middle because he can definitely Mm. piss me off at times Um, but like this one came also at a really interesting time in his career because he had come away from the global embarrassment that was the Psycho remake like he was ridiculed Mm. for that one in a big way and with his subsequent film after that being Finding Forrester that was pretty much accused of being a retread of Goodwill Hunting, which he had already made uh, and was his yeah. most was his most successful. So his response to the criticism was that he pumped out four really micro budget films, all sort of adapting a minimalist approach. Um, and mm. those were Jerry. I think Jerry was the first one, but then there was Elephant. There was Last Days, which was like a fictional account of Kurt Cobain's final hours, yeah. and then one called Paranoid Park. Um, but after these minimalist films, Hollywood kind of embraced him again and he, mm. he went on to make bigger films again like Milk and Promised Land and, and things like that. But, um, yeah. yeah, so if you've never seen Jerry, I highly recommend it. Yeah. It's not on any streaming platform that I can see, but it did have DVD releases through like Madman and the director's suite. Oh, and okay. It is on eBay if, you know, mm. if you're really keen to see it. It's not yeah. too expensive. Do you like Gus Van Sant as a director? I am the same. I'm, I'm into two minds um yeah you bringing up elephant just then my god mm. that just hit me like a ton of bricks I remember watching that uh when I was quite a bit younger and wow that film really it terrified me <laughs> like you, you and, were and re- was, probably really impressionable at the time yeah I was yeah um I can't remember when it came out but I I don't know if I saw it when it came out um but I mean, I wasn't in, I don't think I was in high school at the time. So I wasn't actually in, <laughs> in that position, but yep. um, seeing, seeing the fact that it was kind of almost, almost like completely just um, one take in, in multiple parts of it um, yep. was just incredible at the time. I think actually, so, I think I was, I was studying film at the time when I first saw it. So it was straight after high school and yep. it was you know, it's one of those films that you watch because you're just like, oh, this is this is really like edgy and yeah. and real. Um, 
but yeah, wow, I haven't thought about that film for so <laughs> well, long. <laughs> if you if you like Elephant, you would probably like Jerry because it's like I said, yeah. it's, uh, those four films all in, you know deploy a very similar kind of filmmaking. Mm. Um, and my fa- one of my favorite um, Gus Van Sant films is My Own Private Idaho. Did you ever see that one with oh, um, Keanu no. Reeves and River Phoenix? No, because I, I only found out in and this is news to me only in looking up his films in preparation for for this episode. I realized that there was a film called My Own Private River. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? So I looked it up and, 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 and Gus Van Sant and James Franco together, they recut My Own Private Idaho and they restructured the story entirely using unseen footage that was on the cutting room floor. And they, they made a new movie out of it, which apparently has a much more heavier focus on, on River Phoenix's performance. And uh-huh. I am absolutely dying to see that. I yeah, can't find yeah. it anywhere. It does exist. It's had film festival screenings, but I don't think it's had a physical release. But uh, far okay. out. I love oh, that that's shit. That's annoying. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You would want to watch that almost over. Well, yeah. if you haven't seen the other one, you would want to watch that one over the other one. <laughs> yes. Over, but anyway. Yeah. So Jerry, I highly recommend it. And the interesting thing mm. too about it is that it is it's um, Matt Damon and Casey Affleck. When you know Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were the ones that you know won the Oscar. So it's interesting that yeah. there's that 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 family dynamic. They're obviously very close knit bunch, yeah, and um, mm. and they wrote this film together just the way that he did with Ben. You know, all those years ago. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewdorium. Viewdorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. Of course, it goes without saying that we are incredibly grateful for the support of Viewlorium. So I'll give them a little plug here. It's a unique streaming platform that houses some really, truly weird and schlocky cult gems, but they also have a lot of low-budget oddities and... And some really brilliant classics, stuff like Citizen Kane, Casablanca, Hondo, National Velvet, The Third Man, The Big Sleep, Rear Window, From Here to Eternity, they're all on there. So check it out, viewlorium.com. Um, yeah, once again, really appreciate their support. But now we're down to um, Brass Tax. This is my final recommendation. I've got a really fun <laughs> and interesting one for you here. And in a way, like, I'm, I'm equally pleased and disappointed at the same time that Ben's not here to, to engage in this conversation, <laughs> simply because... This is notorious for being considered one of the worst films ever made. And ever. it does have it, it does have quite a colourful um, post production story attached to it. But um ah. I won't I won't keep you in suspense for much longer. It's a nineteen eighty eight <laughs> film. It is called The Telephone. It stars Whoopi Goldberg and it's directed by Rip Torn. And Rip Torn you might know as the boss from Men in Black and you know yep. Daddy's <laughs> We're not hosting an intergalactic <laughs> I can't do the voice. I can't do the voice. I'm sorry. So this movie practically ended in a massive lawsuit when uh, Whoopi Goldberg took uh, New World Pictures to court and tried to prevent the film from being released at all. And I will go into that in a little bit. You know, this is where I kind of wish Ben was here because this was a movie that in our video store days, back in the VHS days, this was a prominent Mm -hmm. cover on the shelves. This is one that if you you were, you know, frequent at your video stores, you knew the cover. Whether you saw the film or not, it was just a weird, odd cover that was, I guess. It's an abysmal artwork, but it sort of just stands out. It pops. (laughs) But the entire film, it takes place inside an apartment and it's uh, it's about an unemployed actress 
Um, it's pretty much shot in real time and the whole film is her talking on the phone to unknown people. So to occupy mm. her time, she calls people and she has conversations. Some of the phone calls are prank calls, some of them are with friends, family, and it's just her life unraveling down the phone. But you never get to hear the other side of the conversation. It's just from her perspective, uh, right? Uh, and, I see, yeah. And, and there's an odd detail that she has this pet fish that she lets swim around her bathtub. So half of it is spent <laughs> talking to the fish while she's talking mm. to friends. And it is just so weird. And look, if anybody wants to see this one, it's available in full on YouTube. It's free. So go and, and give it a look. I think it deserves re-evaluation. Um, yeah. <laughs> and get this, the the writer, this is interesting because it did tank so hard and is widely ridiculed, and yet it was written by the guy that wrote Dr. Strangelove, Casino Royale, Easy Rider, Barbarella. Oh, wow. And the other co-writer, because there was two of them, the other writer was Harry Nilsson of Midnight Cowboy fame. So wow. I don't know I what's wonder, going I wonder on with if this film. I wonder, because, you know, making a film is kind of like a tripod. Like you got to have the three, the three legs, or else it, <laughs> well, it all falls down. <laughs> that's getting pretty philosophical there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is it, was it the writing, or was it the acting, or was it the directing? Oh you my goodness, know. I don't know. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Whoopi Goldberg, at this point in time, she was hot property in Hollywood, yeah. right? She, she yeah. had come out of the comedy store like a lot of stand-up comics did, and a lot of these comics got their own movies or sitcoms. It was sort of one way or the other. Mm. She had a string of amazing R-rated comedies. Like, you know, I'm thinking Fatal Beauty, Burglar, Jumping Jack, Flash. Like, she was uh, really, yeah. like, yeah. peak, peak, um, you know, star. And yeah. so this movie comes along, which is a vehicle for a comedian. Like, this is the kind of movie that if you're a comedian, you probably would lap up, right? Mm. But I just think the movie did not turn out the way she wanted to. I believe uh. that that um, she had final say on the cut i believe except that oh, okay. rip torn rip torn i think may have gone and just cut it his way anyway and yeah. released it without her involvement which yep. i think is why she uh she went into the whole legal action kind of mm. thing mm. what what else did rip torn do did he um direct well else? i mean he, he i think he's directed a lot of stage i think he's done a lot of theater oh, okay. direction i don't know what else he's done uh yeah i don't know what else he's done in terms of film directing mm. probably done some other ones Mm. Mm. Good question. I don't know. Mm. Didn't prepare for that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. That's how I roll. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you know, little side note. You know what I find? I find really funny about Whoopi Goldberg, right? I think she's like she's the epitome of hypocrisy in today's world. Like in Mm. this woke world that we live in, she's on a a show called The View, where she's very she's very opinionated. and, And let's face it, she's on the side of woke. She really does, you know carry that torch and yet yeah she she cites her heroes as people like george carlin lenny bruce richard pryor mm. who are the very type of people that would be on the opposite side of the table yeah, you know the type of people true, yeah. pushing for the freedoms of expression and all this kind of stuff so i yeah. find it weird that she was that she was that kind of comedian she was that r-rated comedy store comedian yeah that was edgy you know she released r-rated stand-up dvds or videos back in the day So I find it really odd the way she has come about. I think she's gotten caught up in the whole world that she revolves in. I think so, yeah. Especially being on being that on that show, being on The View. Like I think that that would definitely change you because she she would be 
I mean, they're dictated to by the the yeah. channel and and. Well, that show company. is not what it used to be. When that show came along, it it's not what it is now. It's a pale no, reflection of no. it. Anyway, anyway, we're not yeah. here to talk yeah, about sorry. the movie, but, <laughs> but I, I no no that's that's my fault entirely. But I do highly <laughs> recommend people look at least reevaluate the telephone. You will find it mm. silly, but and it's got some great. Um, it's got some great cameos in there. John Hurd, who plays the dad from Home Alone, he's in it. Mm. Uh, there's someone else big in there. I'm trying to think who it is, and I can't for the life of me. There is another big actor in there. God damn it. <laughs> Give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. <laughs> no. Nah. Nah, I've lost yeah, it. I've lost it. <clears throat> Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. The Whoopi Elliot. Goldberg of, of the 80s, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is definitely – um, one that I grew up with. And so yeah. I think that, that, I don't know, it sounds intriguing just because she's in it. So I, I'd love to say it. Well, it's free. It's on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but, going you know what? I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I've probably given, I've probably given the telephone more attention than anyone else has, but um, mm. I reckon it would make a really good stage adaptation. Like if someone at, even if it was community theater or one of those sort of, you know, smaller, you know, Melbourne, yeah. playhouses if they put on this one because it's just a one person show yeah with mono it's monologue after monologue after monologue but it's funny monologue it's yeah it's heartbreaking monologue there's a lot and you could you could tweak it you could rewrite it to be contemporary mm. and and the film does have like a final act that is a bit of a sting in the tail like it, it's not just yeah. a, a nothing movie it does yeah, go somewhere yeah, yeah. And it does flip itself Mm. Anyway, like I said, discover it for yourself. But I digress, Sam. We are we are at the end of the show. It's it's a it's a yeah. sad thing we haven't got Ben to finish the show off with. But hey, mm. I think we we carried that through pretty good to the end. <laughs> Thanks so. so much. But but you know because of you know my whole household COVID problem, we couldn't do this at the desk. But we are going to do next yeah. week. You're going to come in next and week, be at the definitely. desk. Yeah, I can't wait because I much prefer doing these things live in yeah, person in and person. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Got to do a round of thanks to everybody. So we had Guillermo, we had Jared, who's fucked off on holidays and won't be back for a few <laughs> weeks' time. We had uh, the Boneheads, of course, and um, and Glenn Triggs. Thanks to him for having a chat with me about Dreams of Paper and Ink. Do yourself a favour and um, check out his work. A couple of his films are up on YouTube for free as well. That's what I love about him. He threw them up on YouTube. He did it himself. He yeah. put them out there. And thank you to everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to leave you with a song from one of the – biggest minimalist films of all time clerks like it doesn't get much more bare bones and basic <laughs> yeah, than that one <laughs> this is a song called uh can't even tell them anymore by soul asylum peace out see you next week sam bye